Welcome to episode 193 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Ray, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd, and I am here recording live, at least live to me, uh, in the deepest depths of Magenta Manor in the Pat Cave, and with me as always, except for uh, most of last week, even though she did make an appearance after uh, wine flu or space wine flu or Cabernet virus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is the mistress of Merlot, the real housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of wine, the queen of the monsters, and honorary Lizzie, Ashes Von Nightmare. Today I'm a dinosaur. She is wearing a dinosaur onesie, and if uh, you were lucky enough to have uh, seen her at the uh, karaoke evening that we went to a few weeks back, you know exactly what we're talking about. So there's like six people that know what this is. I sing a song about dinosaurs. You did, yeah. The uh, walking the dinosaur on Electric Avenue. That that is not how the song goes. It's something about walking dinosaurs. Open the door, get on the floor. Everybody walk the dinosaur. Open the door, get on the floor. Everybody walk the dinosaur. So I have boom, to boom, like a like a like a boom, 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 like a like a boom ba. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to have to put that. Very deep and emotional, They work hard on lyrics. those lyrics. Yes. But the reason she's dressed up as a dinosaur is that today we are talking about dinosaurs, maybe uh, some of the first exposure that some people have had to dinosaurs when we were kids. So we are talking today about some of the characters from Don Bluth's uh, The Land Before Time. The first one from 1988. We're not talking about the subsequent nine others that came out. There's like 65 sequels and a television series, believe it or not. If you are interested, uh, we were were trying to watch it uh, because we have the VHS tape, but when I rewound the tape, the actual tape part came detached from the second spool. That's because it's old. So we had to watch it on... uh, HBO or HBO Now. So if you have the app, it actually has all 10 Land Before Time films. I've only seen the first one. I may have to watch the rest of them. So I've seen some of them because... So the Land Before Time came out in 1988. So that kind of touches on a lot of our childhoods. Yeah, you were seven. I was three. Two or three, depending on when it came out. Three this time. Yeah, it came out in November of 1988. So I was three three this time around. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, I'm I'm immortal. Yes. Um, But the sequels and whatnot came out several years later. Uh, I want to say, like, starting in the mid-90s. So that was more my sister's generation. So it was kind of cool that, you know, I loved The Land Before Time, and then she also loved The Land Before Time for different reasons. Yeah. See, I never, you know, my brother's about the same age as your sister, my brother Dave, and he's, uh, it was never that that we watched. No, no, what was it he watched? That he watched non-fucking-stop on repeat till we wore out the tape and had to buy a new one. Rockadoodle? No, I liked Rockadoodle. Oh, no, I, saw I know what you're the, talking about. I saw Rockadoodle in the theater. No, it was the... Mary Martin-led stage production of Peter Pan. Oh, my God. Over and over and over. Non-fucking-stop. As soon as it would end, we'd have to rewind it and watch it again. We'd watch it 15 times a day. I know I mentioned in one of the interviews I did with... uh, I don't know if it was on air or off air, but we were... uh, I was on the independent creator spotlight with uh, Leo, 
which is a, another side project. I have too many projects that, uh, that I do on the Dorkening Network where we highlight independent creators, uh, which is why it's not just a clever name. And we were talking to a couple of uh, writer-directors, and I had said that I think Rocky Three is the movie that I've seen the most often, but I think I, that's because I blocked out the Mary Martin, Peter Pan thing. Like, I liked it. I thought it was good. I thought it was kind of cool. Like, I watched it on TV when it originally aired, but we must have seen it 400 fucking times in a span of three months. I can't say anything because I was that way with Mary Poppins. Like, I wore out the VHS. My parents had to go out and buy a new one because I wore the original one out. See, I was kind of like that with like the monster squad or the making of thriller like where we'd watch it a lot but it was like we would rent it and then like we'd bring it back and then like the following weekend we'd rent it again it wasn't like we purchased it because when vhs tapes first came out they were like 50 fucking dollars the reason they dropped in price is because they started showing the ads before the film you know the shit that you would have to uh, fast forward through because the original ones didn't have ads on them once the ads started getting in there it was less. It cost less to distribute because you know you were getting this advertising money, so you were able to sell the VHS tapes at normal prices. So imagine, like right now, you're like, oh, I want this new Blu-ray, and it's like sixty fucking dollars, but there's no ads on it. Do you remember recording things off of the TV yes. and like trying to skip the commercials so you would stop? recording when it went to commercial break and try to time it just right for how when do you it come think back. i watched the warriors like a million times <laughs> when i was a kid we've told this story but yeah I, it was probably mary martin peter pan i think i might have to get that for him for his birthday or something like just as a as a goof like hey look what i got for you that would be pretty funny <laughs> it would be pretty funny but uh, since we're talking about dinosaurs today and uh, this is a question that we rarely get asked as adults and we really want everybody's feedback so if you are listening we want you to email us at throwdownthursdaypodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter, TDThursdayPod, and on Instagram, throwdownthursdaypodcast. Like face, the Facebook group, Like let us know because we're going to tell you ours. What is your favorite dinosaur? Right? I can't remember the last time I was asked that question. I fucking hate being an adult. God damn it. Why don't we talk about our favorite dinosaurs more often? See, I know what your favorite dinosaur is. A Venosaurus. Yes. <laughs> so you do you want to tell people, like, you know, you, you can uh, relate it to your your favorite character on Land Before Time as well. So why don't you uh, tell everybody what your favorite dinosaur is? My favorite dinosaur is a Stegosaurus. Why is is there any specific reason why? Because they're cool. Like, why do we have to have a reason? I don't know. Just I thought, like, oh, I like him because like he's got big murder spikes on his tail. I, I mean, like, there's that too. You know, they have these crazy shield plates. You know, that are pretty pretty fabulous looking. Very Godzilla-like dorsal spines. Yeah. But they're not yeah. maple leaf shaped. But like, I don't know. I've just always liked them. I think they're cute. I just kind of want to mush their face. Be like, oh, look at that little stegosaurus. And I had a cat. You know this cat. I know this cat. I had a cat. His name was Papa's. Well, we called him Papa's because his real name was Papasaurus because he looked like a stegosaurus. His fur would stand up on his spine. 
to kind of look like stegosaurus spikes and he was awesome yeah it's just you know i'm sure folks out there have seen like with their cats where like just the way the fur happened to stand up at certain points like it almost like it's accentuated with like those pictures of like the people that get their cats you know the fancy lizard like stegosaurus cuts Mm -hmm. that you've seen like in the memes and stuff it looked like that naturally. I mean, not as pronounced because it wasn't like, you know, shaved down. But yeah, he definitely had dinosaur spikes. And well, and he also had like a dinosaur died. personality, too. He was very grumpy. Yes, he was. Oh, he was so grumpy, except when he was around Bobby. He loved Bobby. Yeah, Schmoose was his girlfriend. But it was funny because I took him to the vet once. Uh, this was a different vet that I that I had taken to uh, him to previously. And... The vet, like, they called him in. They're like, oh, Papasaurus. Ha ha. That's kind of a funny name. And he was going in for surgery. So I had to leave him. And then I picked him up a few hours later after he had done his surgery. His and when, yeah, this was when he had to have all those teeth pulled. Yep. And the vet tech assistant, whoever was, was dealing with his recovery, she was the same one who did the... Um, Yeah, the intake and stuff. She looked at me and she was like, now I know why you call him Papa (laughs) Soros. I was like, oh, no, what did he do? She was like, we thought he was fine. And then all of a sudden, like, they were trying to put him under. And, you know, they thought he was going. And they thought they could start, you know, kind of getting him prepped. And nope, he, he attacked people and was just not having it. Like, he would not go down without a fight. He came from a... a- an abusive home, I think. He, yeah, yeah. He he was a rescue, but uh, he had he had quite the sad story. He was a good guy. I liked. Him. I loved him. He All right, was let's, my buddy. let's stop talking. But anyways, about that. but yeah, stegosauruses are the best. I love them. I think they're adorable. I've always loved them. I also really like brontosauruses too. Mm-hmm. The long necks. I just flatheads. Veggie veggie sauruses. Yes. Um. So yeah, I mean, dinosaurs in general are just cool. You have you have a couple of uh, stegosauruses. Why don't you tell people the name of your of some of your stegosauri? Uh, so one of them is named T.J. Oshi, after the hockey player. He currently plays for the Washington Capitals, but he got the name T.J. Oshi because it was during the Olympic run a couple of years ago after Oshi had scored those couple of goals. The shootouts. During, yeah. It was the shootout where he yes. kept going and he kept doing all those crazy ass goals. Everyone was just like, Oshi! And I was just like, oh my God, I love that name. Who is this kid? And then I he went out for the blues and we bought, time. he was. And then I went out and bought a dinosaur and I was like, oh my God, his name is Oshi. What about your plastic one? Oh, Neil deGrasse Tyson? Neil deGrasse Tyson, that zombie loves. Yes, I have a plastic stegosaurus that Patrick got me for just... Reasons. Reasons. Because you like stegosauruses? Why, why, does, why do you need a reason to buy yourself or your loved one a plastic dinosaur that you don't? Right, I saw it. I was like, because oh, there's I a stegosaurus. You. It's like, dinosaur. you know, when you come home with like sharks, it's like, oh, I saw the shark. Here you go. So if I were to say right now my favorite dinosaur, you know... Or prehistoric animal, like uh, Megalodon. Megalodon. But my all-time, like Dr. Alan Grant in Jurassic Park, Triceratops. I was always a huge fan of the Triceratops. Uh, I liked him because he had like the crazy frilled collar with the spikes on it. And his name literally means three-horn face, which I just thought was awesome. It's like, I'm Triceratops. Yeah, whatever, three-horn face. 
You know, it's like, you know, like trying to be all like fancy. It's like, I am a tough guy. My name is Le Fleur. Your name is the flower. You, that sounds tough. No, it's it's better when you say Le Fleur. Just, just like that? Le Fleur. Le Fleur. This is Le Fleur. Welcome to Throwdown Judy. Okay, we're <laughs> not going into that. Um, but yeah, I, I've always liked Triceratops. Uh, Ankylosaurus I thought was kind of cool. A what? Ankylosaurus. The uh, kind of flat looking ones with the club tails. Okay. And they have like the spikes along their uh, sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy who was in uh, the narrator, he played Rooter after right after yes. Littlefoot's mom. That's an ankylosaurus with the big. We saw him at the, the Mystic. Yes. Uh, we saw a Stegosaurus. We saw a T Rex. We saw some uh, flying ones. Uh, I also kind of liked um, Dinonychus, which was like a raptor looking thing, like a Velociraptor. He had like the big, huge claw. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers, but there was a line of dinosaur toys back when I was a kid. So like, you know, mid 80s, late 80s. All of them had like some of them came with like little cavemen and like the cavemen would ride on them. Like they had like different like saddles and harnesses and things. And I had a Spinosaurus and I loved the Spinosaurus because his face looked like Godzilla. And I loved it. And like. My mom, I remember my mom telling me, like, right before, because we used to do joint birthday parties with me and my brother because no one would go to my brother's birthday party because it was in July and everyone would be off on vacation and no one would come to my brother's parties, which kind of sucked. So we started doing them combined in May because everybody was around. Nobody had left for vacation yet. And there were these dinosaurs. And on each one of the dinosaurs, they had, like, a little uh, mark and it was like a little, it was almost like a cattle brand, and it was like a smaller dinosaur. If anybody remembers what those are, I, I can't remember for the life of me what they're called. But for our birthday, like, we got a couple of them. And one of them was the Spinosaurus, but we already had a Spinosaurus. My mom's like, don't open it, we'll return it, and we'll change it. I'm like, no, I like him because he looks like Godzilla. Like, now I have two of them, like, and they can do battle. One can be good, one can be bad. Like, these are awesome. I love I love my Spinosaurus guys, so those are some of my favorites. But hands down, number one, top of the heap, Triceratops. It's always, always my in Jurassic Park in the books. I call them trikes. When we were living down in Texas, there was this kind of like cul-de-sac. Not you and I, place. you and your family, right? Me, me, uh, yes, yes, um, just me. Uh, well, yeah, me, me and the you fam. And family, yeah. My dad was in the service, so we traveled and stuff. But yeah, we were living down in Texas, and there was this cul-de-sac that they would do these really cool Christmas decorations every year. And each year they had a theme. And so one year, I forget exactly. I, th- I think the theme was like movies or blockbusters or something like that. So some people did like the Home Alone thing where you could see the cardboard cutouts of the people in the house. And there was this one house that, oh my God, like it was so incredible. And so much so that I still vividly remember it. And this was a long freaking time ago. They did a Jurassic Park theme 
for their Christmas decorations. And it was crazy. They did these like animatronics too. this guy. I don't know if he was like an engineer or if he did whatever he did for a living. He built these dinosaurs. So there was a, a triceratops. That was the biggest one um, in front of his house. And it could move its head back and forth. And it had like a Santa hat on it. They had obviously lights and stuff. They had some of the the smaller dinosaurs that looked like they were running through the grass. They had a couple of other uh, um, medium size, like the Triceratops was the biggest one. They had a couple of uh, like other dinosaurs that were a little bit, a little bit bigger than the smaller ones, but not as big as the Triceratops looking like they were putting up the Christmas decorations and then they had the Jurassic Park logo and the Jurassic Park, the um, skeleton had a Santa hat on it. It was just so freaking cool. And for some reason, like they didn't win. They had this whole contest and stuff and they didn't win because whoever was in charge of of judging or whatever felt like it wasn't Christmassy enough. I think they should have won. Right? No, they should have. It was incredible. Uh, but yeah, obviously, like uh, it drew a lot of of people and you know news reporters and videos and stuff like that. So I mean, this was obviously way before social media. We did Bright Nights one time in Springfield, and they had the dinosaur stuff. I still have those pictures. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like it, that, that 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 was cool, but that wasn't not anywhere what you're near. About. And he had like the the Jurassic Park music playing in the background. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, just like everybody walk the dinosaur now i think that's how it goes maybe i have a jurassic park story thing so when i was uh, in seventh or eighth grade i was doing a uh, school project you know like the science fair projects and i did Mm -hmm. mine on paleontology and down the street from where my cousin lives uh in at the time in littleton colorado they found a T-Rex skeleton, like, almost in his backyard. So I spent two and a half hours on the phone with the Denver Museum of Natural History, and I talked to a man by the name of Kenneth Carpenter. Ken Carpenter, I found out later on, is listed in the acknowledgments by Michael Crichton at the beginning of Jurassic Park because he was consulted when it came to the structure of the dinosaurs and how they like really would move and walk and what they would look like because Ken Carpenter's job at the Denver Museum of Natural History was putting the dinosaur skeletons together. And I talked to this guy, I think I was 13, and I talked to him for two and a half hours. My parents were rip shit about the phone bill. I thought that was super cool when I found it out afterwards. Really? That's real life? That's the thing that happened? That happened when I was in like seventh or eighth grade. And uh, I just thought that was super cool. I, I, yeah, I never really told you that story because I never talk about my seventh grade science projects all that often. Just doesn't come <laughs> just, up in conversation. I mean, the sixth, sixth grade projects and the eighth grade projects do, but not the seventh grade projects. I won in sixth grade. What'd you do? I did um, uh, the history of, well, technically they're called radiographs, but uh, x-rays. Like what what they really are and how it works and all that and I did that. That was my that was my project and I won. It was the first time I won. I won uh in seventh grade as well. Went to the city. I didn't win, but it's all right. I had cool stuff. 
and I was excited. What did you win? Um, you get basically a day off school, and then it's like there's a citywide competition in Worcester, and you take your project, and you know judges come around and judge you, and you know, I didn't. The prize win. is more judging. No, the prize that the that the prize for that is like it was a monetary prize. I did not win, but you know it's okay. So. We want to know your free, your favorite dinosaur. Tell us your favorite dinosaurs because we really want to know. So tell us uh, in any way, shape, or form. Tell us your favorite dinosaurs because we really want to know. So do we? Do we want to know what their favorite know. dinosaurs are? We want to know. Do we, we totally want to know. So I think with that being said, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about the different dinosaur people, the anthropomorphic dinosaurs from. Uh, the land before time. Could you get any more monotone right now? Also, we will be discussing, because it's important to the plot, racism and child murder. We'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks, too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings, children of the night. You are hereby invited to attend the Dorkening Network's 8-part crossover event, Dorkvania. It all starts with the Dorkening on Sunday, March 8th, with a live show kicking off this ambitious endeavor. Then continues on March 11th, when the Dorks will again be live to discuss the Castlevania Anniversary Video Game Collection. Then, on March 12th, Throwdown Thursday will be giving all the grave details about the Belmont family, along with a special guest, followed by Super Retro Throwback Reviews covering games 1 through 4 on the original Nintendo on March 15th. On March 17th, tune in to Retro Redoctopus for their episode breaking down the music of Castlevania. Then catch the AmalgaCast on March 20th to get caught up on the Netflix anime. Followed by boobs, blood, and badasses covering the bloody history of the Castlevania franchise on March 22nd. Each episode will be dropping a part of a secret phrase that you must piece together in order to win some fabulous Castlevania prizes. And the series wraps up on March 25th with another live Dorkening podcast. Make sure to follow along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to find out how to win. We promise this event won't suck. We know what's at stake. Wait, who wrote this? I'm ready with Patsy. Play! Dorkvania, this month on the Dorkening Network. If you miss it, you must be bad. Oh, come on!
And welcome back. Uh, as you know, that was uh, Walk the Dinosaur. And uh, if you don't walk the dinosaur, then I don't know if we can be friends. If your friends don't walk the dinosaur, then the, there are no friends. I don't know. Is that how the song goes? Uh, not uh, not quite. I you may I'm, be confusing uh, it with something else. I might be mashing up a couple of uh, 80s tunes. It is really late, and uh, we were talking about like recording part of it one day and part of it the other day, and... She's like, yeah, we can do the third half uh, later on tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm like, the third half? Yeah. No, the third part. So we're watching this movie, and I always... Okay, hold on. Wait. Before we get into that, I have something really important that I want to talk about. Okay. Do you remember the Pizza Hut puppets with the Land Before Time characters? I do not. You don't? What the hell? I remember... The only thing I remember from Pizza Hut... No, it wasn't even Pizza Hut. It was uh, it was Burger King. I was going to say the ALF puppets. And I know that they were too heavy to be lifted by helium balloons. Because you tried? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Science! But no, Pizza Hut... They also did the Eureka's Castle characters. They had the puppets. You had like mentioned that before. Puppets. But um, no. I have some of those, too. I have Eureka... I have Magellan and I have Batley. But, yeah, so Pizza Hut did this Batley whole, was like... some kind of turtle? Absolutely. <laughs> what else would he be? Um, Pizza Hut used to do these promotions where, like, you could do... Spend money, buy pizza, get puppets. And there were these, like, rubberized plastic ones. One of those seems like an unnecessary step. <laughs> I really want a puppet, but the only way to get one is if I buy pizza. <laughs> but that was like back in the day when Pizza Hut was like awesome. Yeah, hey, you I know how really people remember... really like, they associate puppets with pizza? I mean, yes. <laughs> but you don't? What's the they, first they thing go, that comes to mind go, when you think pizza? <laughs> pizza and puppets, they go hand in hand. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> oh Jesus! Anyways, Pizza Hut used to do these puppet promotions, and you would buy the pizza, you would get the puppets, and they had all of the Land Before Time characters, or at least the main characters. And I remember um, we had Sarah and Littlefoot. And Ducky, I think we had Spike, too. I don't remember if we ever had got uh, Petrie, but we definitely got the four. We're, I, out, I think of, we're out of puppets, boss. Hey, just give, him a, just give him a leaf and tell him it's a tree star. But I, don't, I, I think they, we still might have them somewhere. I do remember because I recently helped my mom clean out her house because she had to move and it's the place that my, my family has lived in for a really long time. Two decades. Uh, I found the stuffed Littlefoot that used to be mine that my sister poached when she started watching The Land Before Time. Did she cut and his hair too? And no, yeah, no, she did not go Barbie on my Littlefoot, thank God. So I, I don't remember if Littlefoot is... I don't remember if I have him now or if he's still with, like, packed away with her stuff. But oh, eventually, her. She's not that eventually strong. it's coming back to me. Like, I'm getting getting my stuffed little foot back. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so Once Upon a Time, they had Pizza Hut puppets of the Land Before Time characters. Yes, because when I think puppets, I'm like, man, 
<laughs> Let's go to Pizza Hut and pick up some puppets. Hey, just call us Puppet Hut. <laughs> but anyways, so getting into... Oh, I was in the middle of saying something what? when you started jumping into that story. So watching this movie, and what I do with every movie is I... I you know, if you were lucky enough to watch a movie with me, there's a commentary track very similar to Mystery Science Theater 3000. I and would use the term lucky yes. very loosely. Just remember, you don't have to be here. You get to. Uh... <laughs> so we're watching the movie and I said something and Ashes turns to me. She's like, oh, my God, don't ruin the movie. Stop saying stuff like that. And then, like, out of nowhere, she turns to me, like, we get introduced to Ducky. She's like, you know the girl that played Ducky was murdered by her father? And it's like, what? Yeah, yeah, she was murdered. And this was, she did a bunch of different roles, but this was her favorite. So they put yup, yup, yup on her gravestone. But, like, I'm ruining the movie because I made some comment. And she's like, oh, how dare you? You know that this little girl was murdered? So, yeah, yeah, child murder. You know, this the, that's now what I associate this movie with. I see this, you know, cute little thing. Oh, yep, yep, yep. I'm like, oh, have you been murdered? Yep, yep, yep. Like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> like, that's... <laughs> what? What? <laughs> like, that's terrible. Like, now that's all I associate. Like, this poor little kid. It's like, oh, Ducky's so adorable. Oh... Not so much. Yeah, but that's a thing that happened. Yeah, it is a thing that happened. But you're like, oh, my God, don't make a comment about anything. You're ruining the movie. Do you know it's also based on racism? But it is. (laughs) I know. But, like, what I said was, like, a millionth as, like, bad as what you're like, oh, this murder and racism abounds in this movie. Yeah, but you were just you were just spinning some s- stupid commentary. I was sharing facts <laughs> that I had learned in my research. You know that all the dinosaurs died of depression. <laughs> I mean, people say it was a meteor, but uh... it is a scientific fact that all the dinosaurs died out well over thirty years ago. That's true. That's a true fact. Yes. Yeah. Technically. technically, There's no technicality. Like, that is 100. There's no technicality on that. The dinosaurs died out over 30 years ago, which is a true scientific fact. So if anyone ever asks you, when did the dinosaurs die? You can say over 30 years ago and be correct. We were discussing a little bit... uh, you know, uh, like we were saying, there was there's racism that abounds because all the dinosaurs are like, "Ooh, three horns don't play with long necks." You know, that's what the the dad triceratops says, and then little Sarah's like, "Yeah, fuck off, long neck." Okay, we can we can talk about the Veruca salt of dinosaurs in a moment. She wasn't spoiled; she was just a bitch. She talked about herself a lot. Yeah, but that just makes her a bitch. Like, Veruca Salt was a bitch because she was spoiled by her parents. This girl was a bitch because she was raised by racists. And it's sad because they're Triceratops and they're my favorite. They should be way more understanding. At parties, they're very, very popular because they just have hors d'oeuvres that 
like the larger dinosaurs stick on their horns and then the other like the scavenger dinosaurs like petrie come by and just like kind of peck it off it's like oh would you like a cocktail weenie i don't think that they served cocktail weenies at their cocktail parties listen you don't know you weren't there scientific evidence from that time is spotty at best I mean, we all know that dinosaurs are quite partial to a glass of red wine. Yes, Venusauruses. Yes. Yes. Not to be confer- con- confused with Venusaur. Vino, V-I-N-O, sore. Not to be confused with Venusaur, which is like the evolved form of Bulbasaur. That's V-E-N-U-S. Totally different thing. One is real. One is a Pokemans. So... Totally different. Okay. So The Land Before Time came out in 1988. Now, during the production of An American Tale... I love that movie. Steven Spielberg was talking to some people and decided that he wanted to do a film similar to Bambi, but with dinosaurs. And also, uh, George Lucas was brought into this project. So it was Don Bluth... Spielberg and Lucas, and they are both the executive producers. And Spielberg and Lucas originally wanted the film to have no dialogue, like the Rite of Spring sequence in Fantasia. Mm. But the idea was abandoned in favor of using voice actors in order to make it more appealing to children, which I think, you know. And adults, because Ducky's cute as hell. Oh, I mean, and like Petrie's, you know, I do like. I smell. I smell. Ducky. And so we know that they went on to do like 65 different other sequels and, you know, the TV series, which I didn't even know was a thing until recently. Uh, But today we're just going to be talking about the characters in reference to the 1988 original The Land Before Time film. Right. So in case you don't know... The plot of this film concerns a young, long-necked lame named Littlefoot who is orphaned when his mother is killed by a vicious carnivore called the Sharptooth. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert. <laughs> we are getting into heavy spoiler territory. Littlefoot flees famine and upheaval to search for the Great Valley, an area spared from devastation, on his journey, he meets four young companions, Sarah, the three-horn, Ducky, the big mouth, Petrie, the flyer, and Spike, the spike tail. So these are uh, obviously, like, and this kind of, like, leads into the where we were talking about where, like, the racism thing, where not only are they, like, identifying each other by physical characteristics, like, Duck, Ducky is a big mouth, which he's a, he's a duck-billed hadrosaur. You know, give or take, uh, you know, maybe like a so something along those lines. Yeah. So Littlefoot is actually an apa, a patasaurus, patasaurus, which is actually a brontosaurus. The apatosaurus, uh, they thought it was a new species, but it turns out someone had just uh, misidentified a uh, brontosaurus skeleton. Oh, really? Yes. So it's actually the same thing. Oh. Uh, obviously, we know Sarah is a Triceratops. Uh, Ducky, however, is a little more ambiguous. So her species has been disputed by fans and critics to be one of such species as a 
Sorophilus. Sorophilus. I don't know. Anatosaurus is cl- is close. Anatosaurus and Parasaurolophilus. The 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 para- a lot of really big words. The Parasaurolophilus. Yeah, I can kind of see that because they had like the longer like protrusion on the back of their head, and when you see the adults at the end, they have like that longer like hooked thing at the back of their head. Anatosaurus had like a a wider duck bill, like like. Ducky's got like a kind of like a duck face, you know, like, but this is like wider and flatter, almost like it looked almost like a platypus bill. Like, so it was almost like out of place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I can see the, the Parasaurophilus. Uh, Petrie is a pteranodon. Yes. And obviously Spike is a stegosaurus. A little baby stegosaurus. His spikes aren't as big as they should be or will be. Pteranodon. Do you know what that means? Like what? The, as I learned this when we were at Mystic. No. Uh, wings and no teeth. Oh, I mean that makes sense. Terra no don. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> wings no teeth. Because they don't have teeth. They just had the the mm-hmm. big beak. And uh, yeah, I I I liked seeing all the different dinosaurs. Like sharp tooth, obviously, is supposed to be a T Rex. Um. We do see some different species, like when we were talking about uh, off the air, the um, narrator we also see in dinosaur form. His name is Ruder, and he's an ankylosaurus. And there's a uh, a pack of three uh, pachycephalosauruses, which were like the dinosaurs that have like the weird dome uh on their head, like the bony protrusion, like you can see their skull. You see them in um, Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World. Um, their heads, their skulls are about 10 inches thick, and much like, you know, bighorn sheep, they would uh, vie for dominance by cracking each other, you know, like headbutting each other, and like whoever was the best headbutter would be the alpha. You know, like when you see the bighorn sheep cracking each other. You know, the males vying for dominance or mates or stuff like that. At least that's what they think, because, again, nobody was there. Right. Everything is all speculation at this point. So this film and these characters, there's a lot of political commentary behind it. Mm -hmm. So not only does it deal with loss and grief, pretty much right off the bat with the loss of Littlefoot's mother. Well, we can talk about that more in a little bit, but I know this is a topic... Stuff. Yeah, but this is, you know, I know this is a topic that you wanted to discuss. Yeah. Uh, there are heavy undertones of racism yes. in in this film and how, you know, three horns don't play with long necks. And they all, you know, identified themselves as, you know, their, their characteristics. Their, right. You know, their appearances. They didn't, obviously, they don't. No, they don't have their dinosaur names. You're a you know? flyer. You're a big mouth. Right. You're a long neck. Although there's also some derogatory term like flathead. Like that gets thrown around. Although it's uh Petrie refers to Littlefoot as a flathead, but like in an endearing way. Sarah refers to him as a flathead in like a really bitchy mean way, mm-hmm. but that's how she was raised. Like Ducky Ducky's like, no, 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 look at me. I'm 
I'm totally a long neck, just like you. You're 50 times my size, but like we're totally the same thing. Look, look at my tail. Look at my long neck. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm a fucking liar. I am a big mouth. But like Littlefoot's all like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember her out. saying it quite like that. He's like, come on, come on the journey with us. Like, you know, you're, you're welcome. But it's easy to see how these characters become what they become based on who they're surrounded by. So when we first meet these characters, we meet them at birth. You know, we see all of these little hatchlings come out and they're so stinking cute. All these little dino nuggets just, you know, being dinosaurs for the first time and trying to figure out life. And we see the behaviors of their parents, primarily Sarah's dad. I think his name is like Daddy Tops or some something kind of stupid like that. Um, and Littlefoot's mother. Now, Littlefoot and Sarah see each other for the first time and they just want to play with each other. And that's when Sarah's father puts her his foot down and says, you know, three horns don't play with long necks. And Littlefoot's mother steps in and just whisks, you know, Littlefoot away. And Littlefoot's like, why can't I play with her? And Littlefoot's mother's like, well, you know, we just stick to our own kind. And he's like, well, why? And she's like, well, that's just that's just how it is. That's just what we do. And it really is a, a, a statement as to the different types of uh, generational. What's the word I'm looking for here? Generational racism. Like well, institutional I was, racism. I was something along those lines. Yeah. Yes, you know. Whereas the Papa Triceratops was kind of Papa teaching Tops. this this behavior to Sarah, and we see her, you know, learning this behavior and using this behavior, and then ultimately, you know, she befriends these dinosaurs because that's ultimately the only way she's going to be able to survive. It takes a lot, and even still, like, certain things happen, and she, like, reluctantly agrees. But then, like, as soon as, like, things start going her way, she goes right back to being a jerk again. And I believe his name is Triceratops. <laughs> Whereas Littlefoot's mother, you know, was just, it's almost, like, complacent. Like, well, that's just how it is. That's just, that's just what we do. That's how dinosaurs are but like know? the line that she uses is like oh don't worry there'll be plenty of your own kind in the the great valley and it's just like that i think that line was put in there intentionally because of you know like the the institutional races i mean but i mean it's you see that in a lot of popular things like you know when we when we discuss the lord of the rings we will discuss the different types of racism that go into the different races because like a lot of people writing at that time lovecraft uh, tolkien those guys were very racist or at least influenced by things around them like that but i know you want to get into some other stuff too yeah i want to talk about the individual characters so We'll start with Littlefoot because yeah, Littlefoot the is the main, yeah. right? He's like the first build character. He's a character that you find yourself really rooting for. So his name originally was going to be Thunderfoot, but a Triceratops from a children's book already had that name. So obviously, you know, I don't know where Littlefoot came from. Because he was little. 
And he had feet. And he had little. <laughs> he, had, he had some little feet. He had feet. I mean, everybody is like, "Oh, I'm a long neck." Well, I can't call you long neck. Uh, swipe tail. No, that was your grandfather, and he was kind of a jerk. Uh, you have little feet. Oh, uh, we can call you little foot. I mean, spike tail. Uh, spike is a spike tail. Like, you know, they're not exactly. They're not exactly like creative with these names. So Littlefoot, he's modest and intelligent and playful, adventurous and positive. Towards his family and friends, he tends to be very ethical and mature for his age for the most part. He does have an innocent curiosity about him, too, which gets him in trouble. Right. And he's also caring and, and very like protective. Mm-hmm. He acts as a leader towards the other characters, pressing them on in difficult times and being their voice of reason. Yes. <clears throat> Even if they're not listening to him. Right. Like when he he knows the way to the Great Valley because his mother told him mm-hmm. how to get there. But Sarah's way is easier. Well, but she doesn't know how to get there. And she refuses to admit it, but she, you know. But she has the confidence to back it up. I was going to say, like that again. You know, talking about political climate, like it's—I uh, forget the the name of it—but it's not knowing that you don't know something, but asserting with confidence that you are an expert in that field. It's like, yes, this is the right way because it's easier. It's like, yeah, but it's the opposite way. Like you're going to go through like a volcanic lava field. Nope, this is the right way. You're wrong. I don't like your opinion, so I'm just going to I'm just going to go and do it this way. And they're like, you know, Ducky and Spike and Petrie are all like, "You know what? She seems fairly confident and you didn't believe her about the sharp tooth." So that's your one mistake. So we're going to follow her to our deaths. So Right, but in his defense, she really embellished the tale of the sharp tooth. Yeah, because he had seen he had seen, you know, during the battle with his mother, he had seen that the sharp tooth fell down this huge cavern. And when we see him, he is fucked up. He right. does not so look like he's okay. So just assumed that he fell to his death, that he's, you know, out of out of the picture, re- removed from the equation. Because we even when we see, uh, like, when they're trying to get the, the food out of the tree and... She headbutts the tree and Littlefoot throws all the leaves down. She's like, see, I did it on my own. I don't need your help. Like, he knows the truth, but he's like, okay, you know, you know, we'll just let you. So she tends to be overly dramatic about things and, like you said, embellish them quite a bit. Like, oh, I was headbutting them and kicking the shit out of them. I showed him. It's like, no, you fucking didn't. So... Littlefoot typically tries to break up any fights or arguments between the others, although he is prone to sometimes getting caught up in the heat himself. He can also sometimes be belligerent towards others, especially Sarah, when he feels strongly about something and they do not agree with him. So that kind of ties into what you were just speaking about. Especially when... You know, he's like, my mom told me which way, you know, to go. And she's like, oh, your mom's just as stupid as you or or whatever, whatever that line is that she says to him. And he that's when he fights and like really loses his shit on her because it's like that was like the last thing his mother told him was, you know, go this way. Like, this is how you get to the, the, the Hidden Valley Rancher. (laughs) <laughs> wherever they're going yeah. like, to get all the ranch dressing. 
but a big part of Littlefoot's identity, and and granted, on totally like understandably so, is the loss of his mother because he's so young. And he watched it happen, and he he was going through survivor's guilt, like he was blaming her for what happened. It's like, right. no, it was you, dude. Well, you see all of the stages of grief that he goes through. Mm-hmm. You know, he blames her for it, you know, saying she should have known better. That was sharp tooth. You know, he blames himself, which I mean, it was kind of his fault. He shouldn't have been running off like well, that. Well, that was the innocent curiosity I was talking about. Like he wanted to play with Sarah. Right. She was chasing the stink bug around. No, the frog. The frog. The frog the yeah, second they were time. chasing the frog. And uh Hopper. They didn't know, you know, nobody knew that a sharp tooth was going to be there. Right. So it was just a a case of wrong place, wrong time. And if anything, where the fuck was Sarah's dad during all this? Like leaving it all on Littlefoot's mom. Like that was that was a a bit much. But we see him go through this journey through this journey mm-hmm. that they're on. It's like a journey within a journey. Literal uh, and figurative. Journey inception. Um, where he's not only trying to find the Great Valley, but, you know, he's trying to he's trying to find the Great Valley within himself. The real land before he's time. He's trying the, to... The, 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 what did I say? So the, the real... You said the real Great Valley is the friends we made along the way. Yes. But it kind of is. No, it is. Because, I mean, when you get to the end and you see Ducky, who is probably the the purest of the characters, um, because Ducky just has love for everybody. Like, she helps helps, uh, Spike hatch. She adopts him. Yeah. She, like, pulls the thing out. You got to come with us. And, like, I never really noticed it. But, like, when they're trying to get Spike to follow... uh, follow them along because he eats all the grass around where his egg was laid and then just goes back to sleep but he uh ducky is sitting on the back of uh littlefoot's tail holding like a branch with some berries well, on that's it. that's because spike is very food motivated and i mean you know same like- yeah. he's the only one who doesn't really speak he kind of grunts and makes well, yeah noises. he doesn't say anything and i believe he doesn't say anything in most of the sequel films he's voiced by I frank welker i think there's one or two he says his i know he says a word in one of the films and that was kind of like a hear spike say his first words and it's just like eh, i don't know rage eh. <laughs> Um, but, you know, Littlefoot getting to the Great Valley, you know, physically, literally at the end of the film, he has almost made peace with the situation, you know, with the, yes, yes. It's like he's reached his final stage of grief. Yeah. It's like this whole film is basically just Littlefoot going through, because he obviously goes through depression like we see like little tyrannical well yeah and that's that's uh you know right in the beginning we see him go through the depression right and he's you know holding on to the last tree star that his mother gave him but it's those kind of like touch points him seeing tree stars him hearing or thinking that he hears her 
thinking that he sees her. And in, it's his shadow. In his shadows yeah. or in the cloud formations. You know, thinking that he hears her speaking to him is what gets him through, kind of like motivates him to... Yeah, like when they're at the beginning there and he's like the sun setting and he kind of like looks up and he sees this huge shadow and he's like, oh, it's mom. And he runs towards it. Mother. And he gets really... I mean, that 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 is one heartbreaking scene this is that that whole scene like his mom dying like that got me more than bambi's mom because you don't see bambi's mom like that's all off screen like this is one of those like traumatic moments and you were talking about that fight scene between mama Longneck and uh sharp tooth yeah so like a lot of Don Bluth films and, and like a lot of these films that we grew up with and we talked about this during um, Labyrinth. Yeah, our Labyrinth episode. Things that we saw as a child that were terrifying that weren't necessarily supposed to be terrifying. Um, Don Bluth films have some very just horrendous and terrifying scenes in them. Scary, scary and shit. With the land before time, so kind of like a sidestep, the runtime of this film is not long. It's just shy. An hour nine. Right. Like it's a little over an hour. 69 minutes. Nice. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Fuck you. Um, So there was a lot of stuff that was actually left on the cutting room floor because they felt it was too terrifying to put in the film. So what we see, and we see some pretty scary stuff, like that whole fight scene between the sharp tooth and Mama Longneck, you know, and um, some of the the sharp tooth action. The Pegasus pack, the three of them harassing Sarah. Or even just the earth shake that happened. Oh, yeah. Seeing the landmass change and, you know, lava shoot up and seeing these families literally be, like, you know, split apart. Ripped apart. Or the, when they're stuck in the tar, they're like, and Ducky and Petrie are drowning in tar. But the producers and, you know, the director were afraid that it was going to be labeled with a PG rating versus a G rating. So that's why they decided to cut a lot of this stuff out. So can you imagine the stuff that we didn't see? I mean, think about, you know, this This is not the first Don Bluth uh, animation that came out. You know, we had The Great Mouse Detective uh, right before he left Disney. Well, I mean, and look then, at All Dogs Go to Heaven. I was going to say uh, The Secret of Nim. When she, mm. when Mrs. Brisby goes to see the great owl and she's almost killed by the giant spider, but the owl crushes the spider and you see all its guts leak out and like the life drain from its face as this horrifying owl, like, and it's just supposed, it's like, oh, I'm just an owl, like, and he like goes to flap his wings and all the bones of these other small rodents, you know, get blown by Mrs. Brisby. Like, that's the type of shit you see dragging the cat just how he looks like mm-hmm. the the mouse of minsk in uh, american tale like there's some dark scary shit in don bluth animation and and for them to be like you know we might be pushing it a little bit let's leave the and yeah i know i hear you so let's move on to another character 
She was actually one of my favorite characters. So Spike is my favorite. Okay, so I think they're all kind of my favorite. Spike now is that I'm thinking about it, like he likes to take naps, and well, I mean, like he doesn't like to talk to people. Spike may be my spirit animal again. You know, the whole motivated by food thing um, and naps. But Sarah is a great character because Sarah. she's Sarah. Sarah. Like Sarah. 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 Sarah taps. Sarah. 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 Like it's supposed to be like. You know, she's supposed to have, like, a normal name, like Sarah, but it's, you know, for Sarah Tops. So, fun fact, her character was originally male and was named Bambo. Michael Sarah Tops. Michael Sarah Tops, yes. <laughs> uh, but it was George Lucas's idea to make her a female hmm. and name her Sarah. Well, Sarah. George Lucas does like his uh, powerful females. So obviously her most recognizable trait is her bossy, skeptical, and profound demeanor. Yeah. Skeptical, profound, bossy. I don't know. Yeah, it's not the adjectives I would have used. I've already used the adjectives I'd use. Well, we're trying to keep it. Actually, I don't know. No, we're not. No, I mean, we're, we're talking about a no, kid's we're story. No, um, you know, but she she tends to cover up her sensitive side, and we see that she has one early on. She's overly aggressive, but that's a result of her upbringing, I think. Right. No, I I think in in again, it's kind of like the whole nature versus nurture. And you argument. know, we get to see her, for lack of a better word, evolve as we go through the film. Well, she's away. We don't really have a timeline for this film. We don't know how long they are away from their family. Yes, because we don't know how many times the uh, the bright circle uh, goes goes overhead. But his mom had suggested it was a, a several weeks worth of journey, and that kind of makes sense. Like if you're in a, a uh, an arid, like ravaged area like that, you know, and he is, you know, Littlefoot is smart, like, oh, let's follow the water, which they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had to follow it uh, probably a significant distance before. I mean, they they were pretty hungry. You know, all of them kept complaining about how hungry they were and they were eating like, you know, you should not eat talking trees. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, but they were, you know, scavenging what they could. Like and they thought like when they thought they came across the Great Valley. And then there was another earth shake, but it wasn't the earth shake. It was a herd of long necks, like, charging down and eating all the food. So my theory is that the longer she was away from the, you know, impression of her family, the better she got. Yeah, like, she got to see how the others... She was clearly acted. heavily influenced by, you know, her family's mannerisms and teachings. The big snuggle pile, I think, is what really started to bring her around because yeah. everybody left her because everybody was snoring. So Ducky was like, fuck you guys. I'm going to go snuggle with Littlefoot because he's not snoring. And then they all piled up on Littlefoot. And then Sarah was like cold and alone. And Littlefoot's like, come on, get over here. And like they all spooned. And it was very cute. And then she's like, wake up, little uh, Littlefoot, sharp tooth. And... You can hear the roaring and the stomping and like everything shaking, and Littlefoot's like, "Man, you're just imagining that shit." He's dead. It's like, okay, Littlefoot, you're being a dick right now. Like, 
everyone can hear this fucking giant thing roaring and stomping around. Like, it's like, oh, no, that's probably just the house settling. The, the, the pipes. It's just the house settling. <laughs> Truck driving by. <laughs> but I think Sarah has... Sarah. Sarah. I don't know why I want to keep calling her Sarah. Sarah has one of the most um, visible character evolutions in this yes. film. In yeah. this in this 69-minute film. Um, because who she is at the beginning of the film is not who she ends up as. No, she is much, much different because, you know, at the very end when everybody kind of reunites and everything, you know, she's the first, like, Littlefoot's off on his own, and she's the first one, like, Littlefoot, come play with us forever and ever. <laughs> But she's like, Littlefoot, come play with us. Oh, come here. You're my buddy. Let's frolic and leap and cavort and dance. Well, yeah, they become, I mean, obviously they all become friends. But Sarah, Sarah and Littlefoot have this bond that you see, it kind of started at the beginning of the film when they were trying to play each other and figure like, oh, who are you? Like, you know, what, what are you? Yeah, and, and they were like play fighting and like right. ramming into each other. You know, and you see them do something, you know, playing similarly at the end of the film. Mm hmm. You know, and again, it's a commentary on racism that, you know, it's a learned behavior. And even though you can as easily as you can learn it, you can also unlearn it. Right. Like, you know, she saw how everybody acted and was like, well, not only that, she wouldn't have survived. She honestly would not have survived on her own, much to her chagrin. And, you know, much to, you know, her uh, despite all her like. I could have gone with the other three horns, but I came back to warn you. It's like, no, you are alone and you're scared and you are super relieved to have come across some little creatures that you know, your friends that you know. So, but like still, she has to put on this front of like, oh no, I'm super tough. Like, I don't need you guys. You need me. So I guess I'll hang out with you. So moving on to Ducky. Ducky's adorable. So Ducky, yeah, Ducky is great. She is a very positive character. And unfortunately, yes, the child, the little girl who voiced Ducky was murdered by her father four months before this film came out. Yeah, and that's, it's... She was 10 years old at the time. Her name is Judith Barsi. And she's super adorable. And she had done several different, uh, like, voice acting roles. Oh, no. And commercials. And... She was also the little girl. She was Ellen Brody's granddaughter in Jaws the Revenge. Little oh, Thea. She? Yep. Little, I was looking at it. I was like, she looks really, really uh, familiar. She died the, just shy of three weeks after her 10th birthday. Um, because she was also the voice of Anne Marie. In All Dogs Go to Heaven. And she and was she, in Remington Steel. And she had done numerous commercials. And up to that point, she said that her favorite favorite thing that she's ever done was voicing Ducky. So they um, wrote on her headstone Ducky's phrase, yep, yep, yep. She was in Punky Brewster. She was in Cheers. She was in Cagney and Lacey. She was in Eye of the Tiger with Gary Busey. She was in The Love Boat, uh, Slam Dance. 
Jaws of Revenge, The Tracy Ullman Show, Growing Pain, St. Elsewhere. This girl was a star. Yeah, she worked. Like, she worked. She would be, like, had her life not been cut short, she probably would have taken the same type of uh, career trajectory as somebody like, uh, you know, a Melissa Joan Hart or, you know, like a similar child star. I mean, she was in Jaws the Revenge. She did all this voice acting. Like, she could have been, you know, like, you know, Susan Eisenberg or Grey Delisle or... uh, any one of these amazing voice actresses. So Ducky refers to herself as a big mouth. You know, so Littlefoot's a long neck and Ducky's a big mouth. Uh, and I think that's something that her loved ones bestowed upon her because her actual species type is a swimmer. Yeah, because we, we went through, her, like, there's a lot of debate as to, like, what species well, no she I'm, I'm saying has. that that's who she yeah I'm she's not, a swimmer I, i'm not that's not up for debate like no, that's no i know what she is but i i long I, necks three horns flyers swimmers yeah. uh ducky is very different from the rest of her family she has siblings but she stands out because she's very outgoing and positive and loving to pretty much everyone mm-hmm Actually, no. Now, there's no pretty much. Just she's she is to everyone except for Sharp Tooth, but you know, understandably so. She adopts Spike. Yep. This is and, our brother Spike. Yeah, like she just you know, no questions asked. She sees this egg, and knows that if she hears him snoring inside of the egg. It's like you should come out, wake up. <laughs> you know, she's very sweet and optimistic, and she's definitely the most innocent one out of the bunch. Mm. She is gentle and sympathetic and often tries to make peace during group conflicts. Yes. Especially when Littlefoot and Sarah are butting heads. Or, you know. No pun. I mean, pun intended. Literally and figuratively. And even when, like, Spike kind of gets distracted, like, she takes it upon herself to, uh, you know, kind of keep him on track. Like, no, Spike, do not stop. We must stay together. She is also very naive and can be easy manipulated to believe that some things may be right when, in fact, they might lead to trouble. And that is, we were just talking about that with the whole with Sarah, Sarah thing. Yeah. thing. You know, she, oh, oh, you're so brave, you know, fighting the sharp tooth. And Ducky herself is very brave because when they try to lure the sharp tooth to its death, Ducky is the bait and takes on that role. Like, even though she's super scared, does exactly what's needed to be done. There's a character, character, wow, I don't know where that came from. Um. That we haven't really spoken much about, and that's Petrie. I was going to say, her and Petrie uh, are kind of like kindred spirits, because when they think Petrie dies, she's the only one who, re- like, everyone else just kind of, like, accepts it and walks away, but she kind of, like, just sits there and cries and is so sad. Poor, poor Petrie. Well, Petrie basically risked his life to save her, because Sharptooth was going to get her, and he fucking dive-bombed her and grabbed his eyelids and snapped the eyelids back on his eye and threw rocks at him. Which is very uh, 
unlike his character. Right. Because he's very naive and nervous and he panics easily. Timid. And fears doing anything new or dangerous. Like when we meet him, he thinks he's flying, but he's actually falling. I flied? No, you falled. You know, so and that was Ducky talking to him like, it's like, oh, you know, you didn't you didn't fly. You fell. But like you're getting there. You know, it's it's okay. Yeah. Well, he was afraid to fly because it was a new experience for him. And clearly all of his siblings knew how to fly. And, you know, the rest of his family could fly and he could not. And that's why, you know, they got separated. And so he was trying to learn how to fly, you know, much to, you know, his dismay because he wanted to be reunited with his family. And it's that trait, you know, that that perseverance in a way, you know, because we see him try to fly throughout the film. And he's trying and he's trying and he takes advantages of gusts of wind. and Like he can hover, you know, he can glide. Yeah, but he, he can't can gently float fly. to the ground. Yes, but he can't fly. And it's not until this moment of panic when he sees Ducky, you know, in peril that he, he does it. And, and, you know, he's like, oh, I can fly. But then realizes like, oh, my friend, I need to, you know. And he so- fucking like... Builds himself up and just dive bombs sharp tooth, like it's awesome, like. But yeah, he's one of those. Uh, he doesn't give. He doesn't give a lot to the equation, but the he's film more wouldn't, comedic relief. Yeah, like the film wouldn't be the same without him. Right, and at the end, you do get to see everybody kind of working together. Mama, I can fly. Mama, I a flyer. I a flyer. (laughs) But you get to see them all like working together, you know, because even Sarah had kind of like, you know, flaked off and like was going to leave. And they're trying to push uh, Spike and Littlefoot are trying to push the the rock onto uh, uh, Sharptooth. So he drowns Mm -hmm. because they're trying to lure him into the, the deeper part of the pond so he can't swim. And... When all hope looks lost, you know, like Ducky's trying to keep him distracted, Sarah shows up and headbutts the uh, the uh, the stone that he's on, and that's you know how they're able to finally defeat him. Like that extra extra push, because Spike and Littlefoot couldn't quite do it themselves, and like as Sharptooth is falling, Petrie, who's still not a strong flyer, trying to get away, and Sharptooth manages to grab onto him. And like suck him down into the water with him, but Petrie was able to get away, and he was like, he was so sad. He's like, you you leave without Petrie? <laughs> like he was so sad because they thought he was dead. And then Ducky was all like, "Holy shit, you're alive! Oh my god, I thought you were dead!" And like hugs him and was like so excited and happy, and everybody was happy because you know their group was whole again. It was really one of those. Uh, ugh. One of those improbable, you know, survival stories, you know, that you, as much as you see, you know, real life consequences for certain things in this movie, like Littlefoot's mom getting a huge bite taken out of her, you know, uh, and and dying, you know, sharp tooth drowning, you know, it's an improbable story of survival, but it's, you know, it is a kid's movie, 
you know, even though they do show actual consequences of actions. So I, know, I, I, I like these guys and watching it again, just, you know, you look at it differently as a grown up, I think. Well, we still have one character to talk about. Oh, I know. Do you, though? I do. You sound like you're wrapping up. No, no, I'm not wrapping up. I'm just, you know, making an observation about some of these guys. And because I know it's your favorite guy. We save the best for last. Yes. We need to talk about Spike. And Spike is the best. And why is Spike the best? Because he eats food and Because sleep. he just is. So Spike is kind of like the unsung hero of the group. Um, fun fact, the character of Spike was actually inspired by Don Bluth's pet Chow Chow Cubby. <laughs> That's awesome. Spike has a big appetite and constantly eats plants that are in sight, even putting himself and others into danger to get them. When Spike was still unhatched, his parents had left his egg in a nest surrounded by grass. After he hatched, thanks to the help of Ducky, he quickly consumed the grass around him and then proceeded to curl up and try to take a nap. And that's when we see Ducky sitting on the the back of uh, Littlefoot's tail, holding the branch with the berries on it to entice uh, Spike to follow them. Because like we said, Spike doesn't talk. He doesn't really, yeah. you know, it's well, I mean, like, hard to tell if he even... That's his most notable characteristic is the fact that he's mute. Well, it's like, it's hard to tell if he's even, like, understanding what's going on half the time. I mean, he, he under like, when they're trying to, they find, like, that one little tree and they, Petrie can't fly up to, to get it. So Littlefoot kind of, like, tries to shimmy up the tree a little bit and Ducky stands on Littlefoot's head and then Petrie stands on Ducky's head so they can reach the leaves high up. They can't quite get there. And so Spike is understands. He's like, oh, okay, they're trying to get these leaves they can't reach. And he goes and kind of shoves uh, Littlefoot up so they can reach. And he start, you know, Petrie starts ripping well, all the again, leaves out. He's food boy. He says, oh, if I help them... Right. I as, can get to food. And as soon as there are a bunch of leaves like falling down, like he's catching them and eating them as they fall. And then like when there's a big pile, he kind of just like, oh, I'm eating and just like lets everyone fall down. But, you know, again, he's very he's a very laid back and relaxed approach to everything. But he's always willing to help his friends, whether it's to help his friends help him. One of those like help me help you. Mm-hmm type of situations or you know to actually help his friends because he's very loyal like in the tar pit right like he was uh he had uh petrie was like hanging on to his nostrils like reaching for ducky trying to get ducky out of the tar after ducky pulled petrie out and then fell in himself you know they made like a human chain of dinosaurs in order to uh get their friends out of the tar pits Don Bluth was quoted as saying that Spike is a pure soul, simple, accommodating, and eager to please. And we get to see how happy he is because he has that big goofy grin on his face when he finally gets adopted by Ducky's family. And all the little duck people are like hopping and jumping and like crawling all over him because they're way smaller than he oh, is. Oh, yeah, and they will continue to be way smaller than you he know, is. The hadrosaurus got pretty big, you know, about 20, 25 feet. Yeah, but like in, compa- in 
comparison to size wise in the film. Oh yeah, in the film, yeah. But I mean, you know, they're just all hopping and jumping on him, and he's just like having a ball, like it's like the most fun thing ever. Well, because he hadn't had a family, like he he still doesn't. Like we we he's the only one that remains an orphan. Everybody else meets up with their family. Yeah, but he's not an orphan anymore because he was adopted. Right, but the only family that he knows is the family that little duck guys. Yeah, is or you know the 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 the, yes the the breakfast club there. Yes, (laughs) because he likes breakfast. That's his favorite. The breakfast club sandwich. So we want to know not only uh, your favorite dinosaur, but how much did you like this film growing up? And if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and check it out. Like we said, it's only a little over an hour. Uh, Diana Ross does the uh, soundtrack over the closing credits. I do recommend seeing... So, obviously, not all of the sequels are good. I've seen most of them. And, yeah, not all of them are good, but the first few aren't bad like I, I, I kind of, of remember the second one and then i don't remember if it was the third one or the fourth one that introduced the little baby tyrannosaurus chomper who's so stinking cute chomper stomper super nintendo chompers <laughs> <laughs> yeah i haven't seen any of the the sequels but you know do yourself a favor like check this movie out like you won't be disappointed like it's so cute it's and a lot of fun it's really great rewatching it as an adult too it's been a while since i've seen it um i think we picked it up on dvd at one point it we have it on blu-ray we I, have I, it on I dvd know, but i just don't i think we picked it up it was on like a uh, like one of the, the walmart clearance bin i just don't know like because i packed up a bunch of movies and i don't know where it is like, but it is such a delight to watch it as an adult, and you know, remember the feels that you felt watching it as a kid. But you know, you kind of understand things a little bit more as an adult, and you know, the the political undertones and the social commentary about it, you know. But it's still really just enjoyable, and they're so adorable. And who doesn't love dinosaur adventures? Right, and you know, obviously. You know, even as an adult watching it, seeing, um, you know, the whole thing with Littlefoot's mom, like that'll hit you right in the face every time. I don't care. Mm. Every oh, yeah. Time. I was I, I knew it was coming and I still wasn't ready. Yeah. You never are. It's like a so sucker brutal. punch. Just mm, right to the gut. I'll always be with you. Even if you can't see me. What are you talking about? I can always see you, mommy. Ugh. Oh, God. So I think with that being said, we'll go ahead. We'll bring this segment to a close. And uh, The gonna... real Great Valley. It's the friends we made along the way. Yes. So we'll. Uh, I'm going to play the trailer when we come back. Or right before we come back. And uh, yeah, so we'll be right back. And we've got some uh, fun, exciting announcements coming up for you. New battle. So stay tuned. What's up, Euphonauts? It's your UFO guy, Rob Christofferson. Have you ever been curious about the UFO phenomenon, but unsure of where to start? Have you ever wondered about just what crashed at Roswell? Have you ever wanted common sense advice about licking UFOs? The answers don't. Then check out the Our Strange Skies podcast, where we dive into America's rich UFO history and uncover what these sightings say about ourselves. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and most podcast apps. 
well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies. In Grey We Trust. Greetings! We are the Retro Reductopus Cephala Podcast, the bi-weekly show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. He's right. We wax philosophic about lots of geeky crap like old video games and movies, toys, cartoons, I don't know, help me out here. Music, pants, quoting video games that don't have dialogues, shabibans, tasty news, unnecessarily long Japanese onomatopoeia, butt breathers, uncomfortable nature facts, or how to install a samoplange. And unlike all those other podcasts, we at Retroidocubus have an exciting rotating host schedule. Do we? We sure do. So, if you didn't like the guy flapping his gums this week, like me, worry not, gentle listener. Next week, we'll have a whole new host. A problem. Hey, they might still suck, but they'll suck differently. And you know what's really cool? Retroidocubus is part of the Dorkening and Inebriar Podcast Networks with new episodes every Tentacle Tuesday. Which is like every other Tuesday. We named it. Anyways, you can listen to us at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or any podcast player cool enough to carry the only show that celebrates all things that make growing up awesome. Hi, this is Dominic Pace, who played the bounty hunter Gecko from The Mandalorian, and you are listening to the Throwdown Thursday podcast. MCA Home Video is proud to present one of the most popular animated films of all time. A film Newsday calls a beautiful lyric odyssey. A movie the Dallas Times Herald labeled a warm family film that's long on charm and excitement. An experience the Chicago Tribune declared has the emotional force of a classic. It's an incredible adventure. You want to go with me? Filled with wonder and danger. From the creators of an American tale comes another treasure for the entire family filled with friendship. Courage. Oh, you can't quit now. What if the Great Valley is just over the top of these rocks? And laughter. <laughs> Presented by George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and directed by Don Bluth. Some things you see with your eyes. Others you see with your heart. A new animated film classic is born. And we are back. Welcome to the third half of the show. Yes, for those of you who are unfamiliar, that was the Land Before Time uh, trailer for when it came out on home video. And I know it didn't say this is a Land Before Time because the link that I had on YouTube cut out halfway through that. Like, the Land bef- And it just stopped. And I was like, well, that's no it's good. like a Mad Lib. Fill in the blank. The Land Beth. Yes, what a good movie. Land Beth or Time. So it's like a question. Yeah. Sure. Uh I do hope you folks enjoyed the uh the first ever usage of our cool new uh Dorkvania promo uh, cuz we've been pushing the Dorkvania thing for the last couple of weeks. We uh we're going to be doing that episode next week with our good buddy 
James Lamond, or uh, you can call him Jimmy Lambs from, uh, it came from the 508 studio. Can you, can you call him that? I told him that that's what I'm calling him. So is, he, is, is he okay with that? He was confused as to why I was saying that. Okay. So he was confused, but uh, he is aware that I referred to him as Jimmy Lambs. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to see, it's it's uh, he and a whole bunch of the other folks from it came from the 508 Productions. I think it was Bob and, and Dan and Erica and Bree were all on uh, with the Wicked Horror Show on the Dorkening Network on uh, Tuesday night. So do yourself a favor. Check that out. Nice, uh, nice, awesome show with uh, Kevin and Tony as Nine Fingers. Uh, check that out. Because that's always a fun time, uh, horror centric TV, uh, yeah, TV uh, podcast. So, uh, Ashes, yes, you have a new wine to talk about. Well, I also have a battle to throw down. Oh, you want to throw down a battle? I have a crazy battle to throw down. Do you want to do wine first and then save the battle for last, or do you want to do the battle first? And uh, save we always wine do the last? battle first. Right, I'm just asking because you said it was a crazy battle. So, because we have a battle, you know what that means. The battle theme. So we have a new battle to throw down this week, and it's not just any battle. This is a battle of prehistoric proportions. We are calling it a Tyrannus Showdown. Oh, yeah. So we want to know who is the true king or queen of the dinosaurs. You can choose from... Sharp Tooth from the Land Before Time. Well, obviously. Versus Roberta from Jurassic Park. And you be may be wondering, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's Roberta? Roberta is actually the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. That's what they named her behind the, the set, like on set. Well, how did they how did they know that all, all the dinosaurs were uh were 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 female? That someone go out and lift up all the dinosaur skirts? That's the best Jeff Goldblum you'll ever hear from me because I'm terrible at Jeff Goldblum. Uh, at least he didn't go Travolta. Hey, look who's lifting up the skirts like, oh uh-huh. my God. Versus Rex from Where Back. That's the T-Rex voiced by John Goodman. Versus the T-Rex from the 1933 version of King Kong. Yeah, and that one's that's a fun one to put in there. Like that's a really fun one. And the location of this battle is on the ruins of Isla Sorna. That is the island from the Lost World. Yeah, the uh, uh, they called it Site B. Uh, it's where all the the dinosaurs for Jurassic Park would be housed as they were growing, and like you know, kind of making sure that they were ready to be put onto the island, and then they would just get shipped over to. Uh, Isla Sorna, Isla Nublar, which is the main, the main, uh, mm-hmm. the main island. Uh, Isla Sorna is actually much bigger, and I think that's also where uh, Jurassic Park Three takes place. So there's a lot more fun stuff in there. But yeah, so we want to know who reigns supreme, who can beat out all of the other dinosaurs. Obviously, this is a battle to the death. Sharp Tooth 
Roberta Rex or the T-Rex from King Kong? And the thing I like about this is it, it's, you know, various stages of, like, our knowledge of dinosaurs. Like, And it's a mixture of animation and, well, I mean, like, technically they're all sort of animated. They did make a real Roberta. Way. They did. They had a model of her. And I believe the T-Rex from King Kong was a model as Stop well motion, because, yeah. Yeah, they did stop motion. King Kong himself was about 18 inches tall. So it's a bunch of, kind of like an amalgamation of a bunch of different, you know, ways that the T-Rex has been portrayed in cinema. So let us know. Hit us up on the Facebook poll, the Twitter poll. Let us know which dinosaur is king or queen. Of all the rest. Which T-Rex is the true Thunder Lizard, granting the title of Thunderfoot. Thunder Lizard. Thunder. Oh, then Thunder, Thunderfoot. I get yeah, it. Because yeah. little, little the true, beats. Well, Thunder Lizard, that's what uh, dinosaur means. I thought I meant Terrible Lizard. That's, uh, I think, T-Rex is Tyrant Lizard King. I thought Dinosaur was Thunder Lizard. Now I'll have to look that up. So, you have... A wine fact. I do have wine to talk about today. So I am continuing my quest to find the butteriest, smoothest, most delicious Chardonnay. And I found one that uh, I've I've tried a couple uh, that I haven't spoken about. And honestly, in my opinion, they're really not worth talking about. I mean, I finished the bottle because I don't believe in wasting anything but uh you know definitely not ones that i would buy again the one that i'm talking about today it's not it like it's not it's not it's not the ultimate butteriest best chardonnay i've had but it is really good and it's worth talking about so i'm gonna talk about it it's called butter chardonnay it's from jam Cellars out of napa california and you would think that with a name called butter chardonnay that it would be a really well, buttery that's me <laughs> butters um you would think that it would be a really buttery chardonnay and it it is it's just not as buttery as I was hoping it was going to be. I was hoping that I could end my search with this wine and I'm going to have to keep on looking, but it is still really good and it's worth talking about. So the online description, because there really is no description on the bottle at all, except for calling that the, the label says butter Chardonnay. And then the back of the label says J and M's, uh, J A M sellers and tells you that the vineyard is located in Napa, California, and that's about it. Oh, it gives you the alcohol content. It's like 14.5%. So it's, you know, decent. Ingredients. Um, butter, wine. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't give you a description. So you had to go online and find the, the, the description. So here it is. It says, Butter Chardonnay is rich, bold, and luscious. Made in the tradition of quality Californian winemaking, the grapes we select are juicy, ripe, and bursting with flavor. We cold ferment this easy-to-love Chardonnay to a lush creaminess and age it in our unique blend of oak. Butter brims with stone fruit and baked lemon notes and has a lovely long vanilla finish. Simply put, it melts in your mouth. Now... Can a liquid melt? Well, like the flavor, like the flavor just kind of like melts in your mouth. Like it, it, it just 
just shush. Let me finish. Um, so I put this wine in the fridge, chilled it for a few hours before I drank it. And I think it was a little too cold at first because my first sip I didn't like. My second sip I didn't like. I usually don't judge things based on your first sip because sometimes you kind of have to refresh, almost like wake up your palate a little bit, wake up your taste buds in order to really get the flavor of something. So don't base anything on your first taste. Base your opinion on your second taste. So my second taste, I wasn't really impressed with it either. And I thought, well, maybe it needs to warm up a little bit. Maybe this isn't the best temperature right now to serve it. And sometimes with wine, they taste better if you just let them sit out for a few minutes, kind of let the oxygen get into it and just kind of aerate it a little bit. So I did. And about 15, 20, 20-ish minutes later, this wine was really good. So like I said, it wasn't the ultimate butteriness that I'm searching for, but it did have a really nice, smooth, oaky, vanilla, slightly buttery aftertaste that was really delightful while being, you know, very fruit forward on the palate, but not super citrusy. You definitely got hints of like a, like a lemony, maybe even... I say maybe even like light apricot type. It wasn't it wasn't super citrusy, peachy like some of the other Chardonnays that I've tried. Uh, it was definitely you know it was still bright on the palate, but it was also very dry, which I kind of liked. So it, it was it was different than the other Chardonnays that I've tried so far, which is why I think it's worth trying. Uh, which is why I'm talking about it today, but it's not like the ultimate buttery Chardonnay. So I will continue with my quest, but I do recommend if you are interested, trying butter Chardonnay. We're going to have to like come up with a promo for like the buttery, <laughs> the, the, the ultimate sh- butter Chardonnay showdown. Yeah. Like the quest. So I'll, I think I have something in mind that I could kind of swing together. So, um, Okay, so for my science fact, I decided because, you know, I was just going to look up what we were uh, a little confused about. You were mostly right about what dinosaur literally means. So I looked up the etymology of the word, and according to wisant.com, it's uh, all about, it's different, this apparently is a, uh, it's W-Y-Z-A-N-T, apparently it's... um, you know, it's a resource for, you know, different uh, English and grammatical um, topics and things like that. So apparently down in resources, then lessons in English, then etymology. Now dinosaur is where I'm at. So where does the word dinosaur come from? The word dinosaur really does not mean terrible lizard. It was originally defined to mean fearfully great lizard by Richard Owen in 1842. The Greek word dienos, D-E-I-N-O-S, when used as a superlative term, means fearfully great as used by Homer in the Iliad. It became simplified over time as an adjective to mean terrible. In reality, scientists believe that dinosaurs are neither terrible nor lizards. Because as we know, like a lot of uh, a lot of uh, paleontologists and biologists are putting forth 
the theories that most dinosaurs had feathers and they did not roar. They quacked or chirped. So similar to what we see in Jurassic Park, the Dilophosaurus, the uh, frilled spitting dinosaur, you know, making like those weird bird sounds. Like they think it was more like that, you know, that the because I mean, essentially like we sh- again, we see at the beginning of Jurassic Park when um, when what's his name there? Alan Grant is looking at the skeleton, kind of pointing out all the similarities between the Velociraptor and modern birds, like how similar they are. Um, you know, they're like, oh, well, maybe they weren't you know, leathery and and with, like, pebbled skin. Maybe they were more feathered. But, like, no one wants to think about feathered, like, T-Rex, you know, walking around chirping or quacking at someone. Nobody wants to think about that. You know, kind (laughs) of takes the the fun out of it. That'd be like, you know, if we... You know, we find out. Wow, that, look at this goose. I know, like you Asaurus. see this. You know, think about this. You know, you you see the, this giant thing come charging down at you, and it opens its mouth and just goes, honk, honk, honk. and it sounds like a goose. Yeah, but I think, like, haven't they found fossilized, like, larynxes and stuff that... For smaller dinosaurs, not for, like, bigger ones and like ones that were so all the non-avian dinosaurs the non the avian dinosaurs you know the pterosaurs the pterodactyls those guys were able to survive a little bit longer because they could travel further mm-hmm. in search of food so they lasted a little bit longer than all like the the uh like what's the word like ground-based uh, terrestrial terrestrial um dinosaurs you know obviously the mammals were able to survive everybody in the oceans was able to survive um you know and then the the smaller the smaller dinosaurs just kind of evolved into birds over time but they they were able to find some of like the 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 pterosaurs like archaeopteryx and and guys like that the like the smaller ones that you know they were able to find their they're, uh, you know, more intact skeletons or specimens, mm-hmm. you know, and it all depends on where they find them. Like if you're finding them in the Badlands of Montana, which is, again, where they see at the beginning of Jurassic Park. I'm using Jurassic Park a lot because I figure that's a good frame of reference that everyone would know. Well, not only that, the science in Jurassic Park is pretty spot on for the most part like to the point where um so part of my degree is in genetics Mm -hmm. and we actually watched that scene from jurassic park in the beginning where they explain how they extracted the dna from the amber uh the the mosquito and the amber and and you know kind of go into a little bit of the the science of you know genetics and stuff like we actually watched that and kind of dissected that scene and for the most part it's pretty correct like if you were able to find 65 million year old dna that had not decayed over time then yes like that's you'd be able to do that right but like that's the problem is like you know he took some Crichton took some liberties with that part of it well yes yes but like and also this... mosquitoes at that time were like 
six feet fucking long. They weren't like little tiny mosquitoes because their beaks would not penetrate like a thick skit, like a stegosaurus or an ankylosaurus. Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to get anything from that. Right. But the science behind it is pretty like somebody did their homework. Oh, yeah. Well, as far as that was concerned, he was a medical doctor. Right. Like he was a super smart guy. Like he, like the science in all of his stuff, like from sphere to Andromeda strain to, uh, uh, to this, like he did his homework. Like he knew what he you was know, doing. And Jurassic Park came out in what ninety three. Ninety three is when the book came out. Um, so when did the, the film but came he, out? In... The yeah, the film came out in ninety three. But he had been doing research. Since the mid '80s. Well, what I'm saying though is that obviously we know a lot more. More information has come out in fossils and what have you, and science has been able to extract more from fossils thanks to technology. Wait, it's been like you 35 know, years since he did that since, research, right? So what I'm saying is, for the time, taking into consideration what they knew and the technologies that were available, like it's pretty it's it's astounding what and they were able to do some of the stuff that they don't cover in um in the movie that they do talk about in the book is like you know when they're doing the tour i forget who it is but somebody remarks that they have these uh they're called cray xmp supercomputers and all they do is gene sequencing and someone notices that Hammond has four of them which is like beyond anything you would possibly ever need. They're like, what the fuck are you doing with four of these? Mm-hmm. What could you possibly need four of these for? You know, like it's insane. I mean, obviously, you know, again, you know, they take some creative liberties. It's like, oh, we have like 97 species of dinosaur because we, we were able to just find like a treasure trove of these amazing you know creatures well, like we right. have everything and, here and you know they were like oh well we were able to you know taking into consideration the genome of mm-hmm. this dinosaur you know they they were able to science the shit out of it to quote mark watney and uh create their own genetic sequences right and what we know now is they wouldn't have replaced it with frog dna that was a plot device right they would have replaced it with it's- Bird DNA, mm-hmm. like it would be avian but still, stuff, right? But th- but we know that now. We didn't know that net then. But still, like again, the science, like you. Well, even could if we did, technically, like it's plausible. Well, I mean, even if we d- if we did, like that whole thing is in there as a plot device for how the dinosaurs evolve and get off the. Like, there's a scene where he talks about um, uh, uh, Sam Jackson as uh, Sam Sam Arnold talks about. Um, the uh, lysine contingency. Lysine, as we know, is an amino acid that the body uh, produces naturally. In Jurassic Park, the, the lysine contingency, in the book they talk about it a lot more, is they cut out that gene that allows the dinosaurs to create lysine naturally, so they have to get fed lysine so if the dinosaurs were ever to escape, which is what happens with, like, the entire family of raptors, there's, like, fucking 40 raptors at the end of this movie that get off the island, like, three generations, uh, they all get off the island, and, like, the farmers in uh, Costa Rica are reporting, like, certain crops that are rich in lysine 
being destroyed by an unknown source. And uh, so they let the kids go, but the government's holding uh, Grant and Ellie Sattler. And they're like, you know, they, they tell him this. And Grant's like, hmm, all foods rich in lysine. Isn't that something? You know, like. <laughs> but then it never really gets talked about ever again. But I just thought that was like that. All that science stuff is like really cool. But yeah, the the insects that they show, like the people like extracting the DNA from and like the little uh, the ride that they go on the simulator. It's like these insects would have a wingspan of like six feet because there was there were more plants and there was a much higher uh, oxygen level in the atmosphere. And insects and, you know. Arthropods, you know, spiders, scorpions, dragonflies, they were fucking huge. You know, 10-foot spiders, 12-foot scorpions, like... No, thank you. No, 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 I'm good. I'm going to pass on that. I'm good with the amount of oxygen I currently have. Yes. I don't need any more. Nope, I'm good. But yeah, so that's some that's some bonus science you got there from us. You know, someone You're welcome. Who, someone who studied genetics and Nerding. evolution. So next week, as we mentioned, we're going to have uh, Jimmy Lambs on. We're going to be uh, talking about his recent appearance again on the Wicked Horror Show. We're also going to be talking about the uh, protagonists of the Castlevania. Ooh, excuse me, Castlevania series, uh, the video games, the shows, uh, the Belmonts. You know, because there's a lot. There's you know, I can Simon, Trevor, Mitch, Greg, Larry, Simon, Trevor. Is there Zan- Chad? I feel like there should be a Chad. <laughs> Xanthor. Hello, my name is Chad. Chad Belmont. Darth Sidious Belmont. Sure. Uh, Fresh Prince of Belmont. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Belmonte Peaches. So. <laughs> Anyways, that's happening next week. It's going to be an amazing episode. And definitely be sure to tune in to the Dorkening Network all month long because starting on March 8th. Yes, this coming is the Sunday. Live show. And we're gonna be uh we're gonna be doing that show Sunday morning and we are gonna be at the Cape, so we're gonna be on our phone. On my probably on my phone in my uh my aunt's living room. So that's going to be an adventure. Um, but yeah, so that's the live show. That's the kickoff show. And then there's a bunch of shows for the rest of the month. If you forget when, just rewind a little bit and go back to the promo that I played. Or you can just check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'll post the schedule. And yeah, I have the the graphic that uh, Parasite Steve uh, made because that was like just a phenomenal graphic like he put a lot of work into it he's very talented and it looks super super cool so i'll be posting that all over the place you'll be posting that all over the place and if you you know because of the weird facebook algorithm if you need us to you know just shoot us a message like we'll post it on twitter we'll post it you know uh we'll dm it to you if you need it so you can see because you have to get all seven pieces <laughs> of the phrase if you want me to slide into your DMs, just let me know. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was like the, the conversation I had with Agent Nicole at work the other day, like about work stuff. And I was like, I slid into your work DMs. It was weird. It was a weird conversation. And now she's in Florida. 
Yeah, <laughs> she couldn't get away she from you escaped. fast enough. She's like, I can't deal with this. I'm going to f- America's. Well, I did find out it's not America's Wang, according to Patton Oswalt. It's uh, America's droopy nutsack because it's so uh, humid. Of all the old people there, because it's so humid. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a whole stand-up thing he does, and he explains it much better than I am. But uh, you got anything else? Well, I think Droopy Nutsack is a very good place to sign off. That should be the title <laughs> of this uh, episode. <laughs> We're talking about the land before time, Droopy Nutsack. Yeah, well, that was one of the dinosaurs they didn't show you. He's in one. Of, <laughs> he's in one of the sequels. Yeah, I'm Longneck. Who are you, Droopy Nutsack? I think that's I think that's the eleventh one that's coming out, The Land Before Time Eleven, The Adventures of Droopy Nutsack. Yes. Like that's his that's his name. His first name is Droopy and he is a, a droopy nutsack. A, right. a nutsackosaurus? I think I've said the word nutsack more in the you last forty seconds than I've ever said it in stop. my entire You're life. You're making me very uncomfortable. Oh, sorry. Uh so I think with that being, being said, said, we will see you, you next Thursday. Thursday.